Welcome to the Truth to Power Show on Radio for Brooklyn. I'm your host, VGR Nathan, and with us today is co-host Bruce Whitaker. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, welcome, and good morning to you, VJ, and everybody. Good morning, good morning. So our special guest featuring, uh, featured guest is Susanna McDonald. Uh, Susanna has graduated from Princeton University with a degree in sociology and spent two years working at Goldman Sachs before making her way to modeling um, and ultimately the fitness field. Susanna McDonald's uh, a virtual wellness coach. She is a registered personal trainer through the National Academy of Sports Medicine and a 300 hour yoga teacher trainer, uh, yoga teacher through the Yoga Alliance in Miyasa and traditional hot yoga. She works virtually with private clients across the country in one-on-one sessions to help them achieve their health and fitness goals. And Terry, we're going to talk a little bit about wellness and wellness generally, about um, kind of keeping ourselves mentally and physically fit, uh, how that can be a, a good foundation for um, you know, our lives and, and, and our progress in, in, uh, in the world. So uh, why don't we start the conversation off a little bit about... Um, Kind of like you know what you think is the key to uh, to all this. Is there any keystone? Is there any particular uh, secret or truth that we need to focus in on in order to kind of um, start that journey? Hi, BJ. Hi, Bruce. Thank you so Hi. much for having me. Thank Pleasure you. to be Thank here. You. Yeah. The um, hmm. Okay, so so a uh, truth that I can pass on. Hmm. You know how you get together with a friend, let's say you're getting lunch or catching up on a phone call and you're genuinely asking your friend how they're doing and you're wishing the best for them in every category and hoping that they succeed in every way and sending all of your good love and good intentions out. And the best advice I could focus on someone in their health fitness journey, but also kind of their human journey thus far is that all those good things that you wish for other people and you hope that your sister and brother do well and that they're taking care of themselves first send all of that right back into your own vessel and through that space if you're treating yourself like a person who you love admire respect cherish there will naturally be in my opinion some habits and some ways that you make that love visible which will likely be for your best good physically mentally emotionally spiritually what have you yeah thank you thank you that's really good and i think that self-care self-love is the foundation upon which we build i mean we always use that example of like in the airplane and such you know to put your own mask on first mm. the illustration of how you know we need to kind of um take care and uh show compassion practice compassion for that we um, self-compassion so that then we can build up that to learning and understanding that we won't be able to show compassion for others if we don't show compassion for ourselves. Yeah, yeah. That resonates. Yeah. I was interested, Suzanne, and tell us your journey into the uh, focus on fitness and what you went through personally to get there. I think that's a, a very interesting background for, yeah. and probably not all that unusual for someone who focuses on it professionally. Yeah. yeah, my path, I've been, I've been blessed to have experienced lots of things so far these past 26 years. Goodness. So I started my career in finance for two years, and I credit that experience with mm, teaching me the importance of mental strength. So you know, I was on a trading floor with a thousand plus people. And you know, stimulation left, right, via numbers, via folks speaking to you, 
phone ringing, et cetera. And in order to survive and thrive in that environment, it was important for me to cultivate an internal clarity regardless of external stimuli. That, that was incredibly valuable and I, and I took that with me, but I knew that wasn't ultimately my path. So after that experience, and actually during that experience, I had a transformative life event. Um, I have severe scoliosis, and for most folks between zero to 10 degrees of scoliosis is fine, uh, but mine was much more severe. So at the time of operation, my curvature, so this is an S-shaped curve in my spine going left to right. At the time of operation, my curvature was 80 degrees on top and 60 degrees in the bottom. And I had a fantastic surgeon, Ronald Lehman, at the New York Presbyterian Center fix my spine. You know, you can't make a spine like that go completely straight, but he kept it from progressing. And after the surgery, um, you know, I was blessed to heal well and heal quickly. But after the surgery, he had a conversation like, you know, all right, for everyone, their health and fitness is important. But for you, um, the spine needs to move. And so just however you live your life going forward, ensure that you continue to take care of it. And that um, physical fitness won't be just something that's recommended by the government for you, but something that's a real true necessity for the longevity of, of your life and, and the quality with which you'll be able to enjoy that life. So I knew that fitness was going to have to be important to me. It was previously, but I'm sure many folks can, you know, feel the same way that even though something is, you know, something is good for you, it's still that, that matter of practice of, you know, kind of day in, day out being consistent. So I decided to do yoga teacher training and I thought that, all right, if I do this training, then hopefully at least this practice, which I'd experienced a little bit previously, will be important for me for, for the rest of my life and I will work out for the rest of my life. And through that experience, um, I developed this great sense of self. I trained through Yoga to the People in New York City, a wonderful studio. And that experience really captivated me and took me on a path different than I imagined into this fitness field. But there was one lovely mm, stop along the way, which is still a part of my life, uh, which was modeling. So after Goldman, I worked as a fashion model in New York City for two years. And that experience while being a lifelong dream to check off the box and an immense pleasure in many ways did disconnect me from my physical body and i started to accumulate a few philosophies or a few connections to self that weren't um, necessarily from a pure true space just based on it being such an external industry you know imagine imagine going to work one day and just having your productivity or output be literally just determined on how based on how you look and th there was a certain uh expression to that that i really enjoyed artistic expression but also a certain limitation um so anyway it was holistically a, a very positive experience but to a certain extent it either severed or made the connection from my body to myself a little bit um, tenuous or, or strained so yoga helped to rebuild that. And I've been working in the fitness field now for about the past two years, partially in the modeling space and now full-time. And it's been a wild path. And I feel really blessed to pass on to my clients things that I've learned so far, real true philosophies that come from lived experience. And it inspires me to, you know, to 
work with these private clients every day to see them putting their best foot forward. And it creates this really positive feedback loop between me sharing my own positive experiences and them being inspired and me being inspired by their hard work. And um, I feel really blessed to be where I am right now. Thank you. Thank Interesting. You. Now, tell, how did you, uh, when you decided to look into modeling, how did you get started with it and what were the things you most enjoyed about it or, or what was the 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 uh, fact what were the factors that you really were looking for that that uh, you enjoyed finding there mm. okay yeah so I, I mentioned that surgery yeah so with um, surgery I lost 10 pounds <laughs> and because you can't eat much after the surgery mm. and uh, it I could have pursued the field ahead of time, but I felt like it gave me that last boost of confidence doesn't even feel quite like the right word. It gave me the measurements that from what I'd read that people were looking for in the industry. But what I was look, looking for out of the industry uh, at, a, at, a, at a surface level, I, you know, modeling is, is an art form. It's similar to um, acting, but without the words you I'm talking about in a, in a shoot itself. Um, it's a chance to express, to play, to try on different characters, to see what fits, to communicate without speaking, to... Um, it requires a great deal of awareness. Awareness on a physical level, like without having a mirror right there, what are my hands doing? What are my feet doing? How is the curvature of my spine? What angle is my face? Like it requires a lot of physical precision um, but also what you're thinking in your head will show up in your face, like photos don't lie. So it required uh, cultivating different emotional states that I would then project through my eyes, face, body language. And I felt like I was, I was telling a story. So it's really the, the art of modeling um, that most captivated me and kept me in the industry. Um, excited to learn more, excited to collaborate, being in that creative space was very, may help, made me feel very alive. What yeah. is the story when you're in a shoot and you're conveying and when I look at a model in a, in a spread or something like that, what is the story that the, the photographer or the designers are looking for? Or how do you get, you, do, you, do you get directed into a certain story or do you come up with it yourself? Or how, what, what is the model thinking when I see that glorious picture of uh, someone looking fabulous <laughs> in these clothes? It's a great question. This depends <laughs> a lot, of course, upon the client, right? If you, it's for uh, you know toothpaste versus a pair of shoes, that what you're highlighting is different. But I found that uh, with my most successful shoots and in best client interactions, the process is collaborative. So you will receive it's typically called a mood board, where it has um, various feels that various. Um, Kind of textures, um, emotions that that the client is looking to portray. So there might be, you know, various colors on the board. There might be some sample images of some similar things to get you kind of in that mindset to to prep yourself. But when you're on set itself, I view that collaboration a, a couple of times. Actually, this happened. So you have there's so many people involved, right? Similar to you know a movie set. So you have your your photographer and your makeup artist and your hair artist and your stylist. And if there are various props on set, you know, you have a prop assistant and everyone's coming together to make this, make this shot happen, make this potential video happen. And 
it's beautiful when everyone can just come together and maybe even take a minute to just close their eyes and take a few deep breaths and to try to get on the same energetic state. And in shoots that I've experienced where that's happened, I've noticed the work product is significantly better or improved. So you have you have all, all these minds coming together, but for a singular vision and collaboration is is welcome and encouraged. And I find that play can come in once you more or less believe that you have the shot. And then there's a little bit more space and a few more frames to experiment and to see what might happen when you're just dialing into the moment and allowing yourself to um, yeah, to, to work to work from a flow state um, in the yeah. same way that that I imagine that a, a singer does or that a, a chef or just when, when you're truly in the zone. Um, and it was it's that coming together of all these various creative minds and talented professionals that uh, one, one of my favorite parts about the experience. Yeah. Also, I want a, to. Yeah. Also, I just wanted to bring up, um, you know, like when you're talking about acting versus reacting, kind of acting in the playing field of like giving authenticity or connecting to your authenticity, connecting to your core. Um, you know, how we're able to get in dialogue with our inner mind, inner states, so that then that becomes transparent, and we're kind of living a very, um, you know, as you're saying, the physical body kind of mirrors or reflects what's going on inside. Our, our minds uh, so kind of you're getting a, a playing field by the collaborators and then you're kind of allowing yourselves to enjoy or find that joy in that would you say and how, how is that how is that embodiment kind of connected to how does that discipline how is that discipline or how do you kind of cultivate the right um, awarenesses and the right even in your life I think we all have to cultivate right awareness right kind of feeling so that will be conducive to our what are some methodologies you use to combat um i think you were saying negative negative thoughts or gnats i think it was called or negative activating thoughts so that's an example of like how we kind of do this or how one methodology to combating negative thoughts thank you yes so um i mean this comes from a past therapist that i've had nats n-a-t-s is an acronym that she used for negative automatic uh negative automatic thoughts uh, but can you can you clarify the scope of your questions? So basically, I was saying I was just first of all I was just kind of going over what you were saying already, which is that the body is like a reflection of the mind, and mm. and as you're establishing the establishing um, foundation, and just basically what are some strategies you use in order to um, cultivate the right awareness, and what are strategies you use to combat negative thoughts? Mm. That's a great question. I currently these days, and something that I do my best to pass on to my clients is to have a gap between a stimulus and a response. And how that shows up for me in my fitness practice is, although my, my primary uh, mode of fitness is yoga, but I'm also into strength training and into cardio work, um, and through some of the yoga comes balance as well. But it is my goal through my various training sessions to push myself to what I consider to be an edgy place or right to the, the border or the line of mm. what I believe my body is capable of and what I hope that my body will be capable of through time. So if it, this is a run, this could be as simple as you know, being willing to have that kick or to, if you're working on a cruising pace to start to pick it up a little faster. Or if it's a yoga practice, you know, to stay in that posture a little bit longer than feels comfortable and to see what mm. kind of happens when you stay or, or 
couple more reps in a, in a lifting sphere. But but to have to have a gap because during times of physical exertion, quite likely your mind will be speaking to you and mm. <laughs> telling you things such as I can't and this is terrible and I'm dying and insert any X number of of uh, falsehoods mm. often and. What is helpful to me, and this is um, something I, I really credit yoga to the people with, the folks with whom I did my yoga training, is to take a breath and then make a choice. So, of course, you know, things will happen, um, whether it's, you know, within the rectangle of your yoga mat or outside in the world and you're driving and someone's, you know, honking at you and like thing, things are going to happen that are outside of your control or things are going to show up. But... I want to and do my best to make my decisions from a cool moment versus a hot moment. So the hot moment is right when XYZ thing happens. And by taking literally a nice slow inhale and a nice slow exhale, I can then choose to change if that's necessary. So I can uh, leave the posture or choose not quite to move at that same level of, uh, of exertion of intensity, uh, potentially. I could choose to stay. I could choose to maybe go a little deeper, realizing that I have some more physical capacity than I thought as, as shown through my mental state. But I want to make my decisions from a cool place and not from a, from a hot place. So taking that breath, which I learned through my physical practice, has I really use, use that tool, tool quite every day that when I take a breath, I can trust that I'll be coming from a more centered place and i might end up making that same decision as, as i would have had i reacted right in the moment but i'll be doing so from an intentional space versus from a reactionary space mm. this is very interesting because it reminds me of the uh, eight consciousnesses concepts in buddhist meditation where the first five consciousnesses are your sense consciousnesses taste feel sight hearing and so on the sixth is the kind of experiencing consciousness. It doesn't judge anything, but the seventh is the judging consciousness. Mm. And the goal of things like meditation and compassion training is to slow down the seventh consciousness so that it stops judging and reacting, which is exactly what you described the function of taking a breath or something mm. like that. But there's a very, uh, I, I really respond to that from the meditation point of view because that so often is a very strong goal in a strictly spiritual path, but it obviously mm. connects to the physicality of the sense consciousness and then the emotions that are coming up and things like that. So. Yeah, yeah. And I would say what came up for me was about the body and about the connection between uh, pushing the body to the limits of what it can do and then also cultivating like giving a direction or steering the body towards a kind of place of being that you want to, you intentionally want it to be in. And then uh, as you were saying about how you fuel the body, so I'm going to focus a little bit on diet and a little bit on food and how that can be uh, a place for people to rest their attention on. Because, you know, in a society where we have so much processed food and we have so much of this food being like negative for our health and, you know, a lot of talk about, um, kind of how, uh, you know, and also in the, in the COVID times, how people are starting to eat more at home and forced to kind of not eat out all the time. And then they're focusing in on their, their, a lot of people, at least myself and specifically have been focusing in on what I'm eating and being more conscious of that. So talking a little bit about how we are, we eat, um, 
what is your kind of thoughts or reflections on what are kind of your thoughts and reflections on um, how food can be a, a discipline in order to bring our body towards the um, places we want to be in? Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I food is one of my favorite things in the world. <laughs> food, food is life. Food brings me tons of joy. Um, my relationship with food has always been has has always been positive it brings me you know, a ton of joy all these flavors and textures and like what a what a great sensory playground um so growing up growing up i was always uh fairly skinny regardless of how much food that i had to eat um and because i felt like i could just kind of eat as much as i wanted of, of various things um i ate quantities that my body didn't probably really fully need and i just had a fast metabolism but i wouldn't call that eating mindful it was just everything is delicious let me eat it all yum 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 yum, yum. you know like childhood and then uh moving into college that started to switch a little bit so i had to be more mindful about my food choices but i wouldn't say at that point yet i still had a strong understanding of um of a, of a relationship to food my views the views didn't change i was forced to or life encouraged me to really get to the heart of my relationship with food through the modeling industry so i had lovely agents i had lovely agents i had lovely bookers i was not told to lose weight i felt external pressure from uh, fellow models and um just the general casting process that in order to be successful, I needed to be at a certain weight. And so food at that point stopped becoming fuel to me. It became as a, a means to an end. So I was lucky in that um, I had a mild eating disorder, some mild anorexia, it never got bad, but I would start to determine my days, the worth of my days or the productivity of my days based on how little food that I had to eat and how much that I worked out, which is of course, you know, incredibly unhealthy. And you start to like chew gum, like flavored gum with enough flavors to have it be a meal and smoke cigarettes to not have an appetite and just you know, things that are clearly unhealthy. Um, and going through yoga training really helped me to, because, you know, there's yoga as a physical, physical practice, but also as a philosophical practice. And um, thinking about few, few, oh, uh, food rather as a way to fuel and honor this vessel um, helps to simplify my thought process around food and nutrition. So currently, um, how I've been for the past couple of years is just thinking, yeah, literally about food as fuel. So there's high-grade fuel and low-grade fuel, but it's all stuff that will make this make this engine run. But regarding one specific diet, I feel like if, 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 it, if it interests folks to hop on various trends and you like the keto stuff and you like the paleo, great. Like wherever is your, if that's your in to thinking more, to being more intentional about what you put into your body, then, then super. Um, but with that, I would add that for me personally, it can be very simple. I do my best to eat food that comes from the ground, to have fresh and fresh fruits and fresh vegetables. Um, I eat all kinds of food, but if I'm eating something that I know isn't particularly nutritionally dense, then I'll just have a small amount. Um, and, and just like that, I don't let, uh, my dietary choices, um, influence my life, um, to a great extent, but I am aware that anything that, 
it's the old like devil on your shoulder angel on your shoulder mm. yeah which one do you listen to or the two wolves the one that gets larger is the one that you feed blah 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 i am aware that um as i am putting different foods into my body i'm training my taste buds and i'm training my tongue to like those things uh, so yeah essentially uh in, in a nutshell i believe in eating what you want but um but you know if it's something that isn't nutritionally dense only having a small bit and and finding your in so if you love staying on top of trends and reading all those fitness magazines and you know the latest diet if that interests you great uh, but it, it can be much simpler than that in my opinion how do you find your clients uh, in the past few months responding to all sorts of wellness issues as they've dealt with the changes we've gone through, the shutdowns, working from home, or whatever changes people have gone into? Um, how have how have their responses been in your in your experience? Yeah, there are things that are easier now and things that are a little tougher than they were before. So things that are easier now um folks are setting up setting aside workout spaces in their homes so this might be a garage that finally gets converted into a gym and they order some equipment or this might just be a couple of yoga mats that are you know rolled up in a basket next to the couch that they then pull out you know, for the hour of our sessions but folks are setting aside physical space in their homes to create a movement practice. And at least for the folks that I work with, from the majority of them, that was not the case previously. And I think there's a lot to be said about having physical space set aside for various things. So just like you have your favorite you know, chair where you do your reading and your you know, breakfast nook where you potentially in a ritualistic way like have your meals each day, having a physical space set aside for where you complete your movement practice and you know water your own cup is really beautiful and a huge win um, and along with that you know of course having the ease of being able to work out right from your home gets rid of lots of the excuses and the distractions because you know if you're tired go take a nap right there your bed is right there or if you mm. need a quick snack grab a protein bar your kitchen's around the corner um, so it helps people to think about their health as not a place that happens in an external facility with others in this high music boom 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 environment but something that is very much in their lived experience every day right there in the home yeah. another positive with that which has actually been one of my favorite things to work with on clients is their home desk setups right so you don't have your you know your desk multi-monitors for many people that they were working with previously and so usually within the first couple of sessions call it first four or five sessions with a new client i will ask to see their home desk set up slow to set up their video i'll get to see their posture how's their chair um how is their vision level regarding the screen and i'm able to because we are at home i'm able to access a different part of their life which might not have been as as seamless uh, were they heading into an office and they couldn't like midday FaceTime me from their from their space. So I feel like I'm able to access more of their lives now, which helps me to be a better trainer and a better coach. 
So yeah. just quickly, can we go to that desk situation? Because that's been mm. like, <laughs> mm -hmm. what, are, what are like your top three advices about uh, a healthy home office setup? If we could just uh, check in about that for some free advice. <laughs> yes. Yes. Number one, joint stacking. So you, when you're sitting, you know, at your, at your desk, at your chair, you want your uh, feet to be flat on the floor. And if your feet aren't flat on the floor, you can bring the floor up to you via a pillow, a book, et cetera, but feet down and then joint stacking. So knees over ankles, right? That just makes a perpendicular line. And then knees in line with hips. And if your hips are a little tighter, maybe even the hips up a tiny bit higher than the knees, so they aren't in quite that uh, flex position. So knees over ankles, knees in line with hips, hips, shoulders over hips. So, you know, essentially kind of like the back of your chair, how it's up and down. That's how you would like your spine with your shoulders up over your hips, elbows in by the sides, and then elbows in line with wrists. This one is very important and it's easy to get wrong. Um, if you aren't working with, let's say one of the best things that one can get for themselves at their home office setup is an adjustable chair. Because lots of times folks are working on a desk that is too high for them and it'll create this funky situation where the elbows are in low, but maybe just the wrists are on the desk. You wanna have your entire forearm on the desk with the elbow and the wrist and the hands all in line. And then lastly, we talked about shoulders over hips. Finish that out with um, head over shoulders so that you aren't getting the jutting forward look. Um, it's, 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 it's rare that one would overcorrect backwards with the head backwards, but um, just, yeah, head over shoulders. So that's number one, joint stacking. Number two, um, there was this great podcast on the topic um, a couple weeks ago on NPR and um, the the quote came up the the best posture is the next posture so in whatever alignment that you find your body the next time that you move even even if it's completely delightful and you're doing that joint stacking that i just talked about if you're rigid like that all day um you want your body to be I'll, I'll speak for my own space i want my body to be um supple in the way that like in the way that a leopard is or in the way that I don't want to just be strong but stiff and I want to keep moving. So the idea of the next posture is the best posture is that however you find yourself, regardless of how ideal that posture is, get up and then try something else. So if you can um, continue to move even just through the shoulders or through the hands and wrists, um, you're allowing your body to be the dynamic creation that it is. And finally, so outside of joint stacking and outside of the next posture being the best posture, I would finish with find a way to inject habitual standing into your daily work setup. So mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of wearables. I have my little Apple Watch um, and I it isn't something that I need to do quite anymore, but um, used to, you know, set an alarm for myself where just every hour my watch just simply vibrates and I get up and move my body in some kind of way. It could be something as simple as getting a glass of water, uh, but just moving because folks have lost their commute. And so any walking that used to happen um, doesn't happen anymore in that same formalized way. So whether it's, you know, get up, if someone calls you, take that phone call standing or set your alarm for once per hour, find a way to make 
your movement throughout the workday happen in a predictable fashion so that it's one fewer thing to think about. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank and also, you. <laughs> I just want to talk a little bit about like viewing ourselves and self-view. We were talking, bringing the conversation off with self-compassion and, um, you know, love for ourselves and the foundation upon which we build these kind of practices. But also it has a lot to do with how we view ourselves, how we view our our capabilities. A lot of people, I think I find, have limited view of their capabilities. They think that I can't do this, I can't do that. And they think that they're limited in that way. And breaking down that limited viewpoint seems to be the foundation for all these practices. We need to see ourselves as unlimited beings that are capable of all the things we want, capable of attaining all these goals, attain, capable of being fully aligned, fully in, in process, fully in uh, all this kind of et cetera, et cetera, all these kind of holistic goals that we have. So then we're capable of doing that. And how? what are some strategies for us to break out? You're talking about, uh, you're talking a little bit about giving ourselves time to process, but also that fundamental um, viewpoint has to be changed and allowing ourselves time to really see ourselves as limited and how do we kind of, and what do you think of the blocks that prevent us from, uh, so one of the blocks that prevent us from seeing ourselves as, you know, seeing ourselves to have the capacity to do all this and two, what are some ways we can like cultivate and sustain those, um, those viewpoints so we slide back into these negative um, thought patterns about ourselves. Yeah. If that make, that mm. kind of gives you a sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's, no, that's, that's a fantastic question. Okay, so what what tends to get in the way of our, our sense of self? Mm. I feel like you know if you have a you have a, a pristine room, right? Let's say you decide to redo your kitchen. You get, you get a new kitchen set in there, etc. And it's gorgeous, and there's glass and metal, and everything's beautiful. If you just leave that kind of kitchen or to to itself and let let it let it exist without any input from you without any mm, action from you that room will start to accumulate dust and at first it will be light and just like this little film um but if left for years or if abandoned that you know beautiful pristine room will look nothing like it once was when you put everything in and uh, in a similar vein, in my experience, the, the mind can start to accumulate dust or things throughout the day. Mm. And that might come in the form of can, might come in the form of external messages from all sorts of places that could come from from television, from, from magazines, from commercials, from a comment that someone makes on the street, from, well-meaning advice from a friend that it's more projecting their own insecurities than actually your truth. So all of these things can, dust can accumulate externally, uh, but also internally, right? Those negative automatic thoughts that we talked about, or, you know, with all of the, the thoughts that zip through our mind each day, um, lots of them can be, can be dust or things to, to, ex mm. to, um, to push away. So, Recognition, right? We talked about awareness. Um, uh, recognition of of what is dust versus what is 
what is the kitchen set or what is the table? What is the thing that you intentionally put out into space versus what fell on top of it? Um, seems fairly fundamental to me in terms of being able to say that is not it. In order to say that is not it, you have to know what is it uh, and what is the thing that um, is inherent or true or the actual belief. Um, but kind of laying off of that, but a way to take this philosophy into practice would be when creating goals for oneself. This is specifically in a, in, within a physical fitness context or wellness context, but can really be used outside of that. When someone tells me that they have a goal, um, you know, I, there are things that you hear all the time. I want to lose 10 pounds. I want to, um, I want to have more muscular definition, et cetera. I offer the exercise of the five whys. So, and this, yeah, this really does transfer outside of the fitness space. If there's something that you are looking to achieve or have or, or a goal that you're setting for yourself, asking yourself why five times, I didn't invent this practice. This is a common practice. Asking yourself why five times helps to get at the heart of things and helps to get to that true core reasoning and often around like the fourth, third or fourth why, you can start getting to the real, uh, real heart of the situation. And in my experience, it's often been um, psychological and has something to do with uh, worthiness. And so through being willing to go on this excavating journey of asking yourself the tough questions and literally get the answer, ask again why, um, that can help you to bring to the forefront or to, to illuminate your own personal beliefs um, as evidence through your goals. And that can be a process. That process of inquiry can be a process of self-revelation and, and um, healing, healing really in itself. Mm-hmm. Could you elaborate just a quick on the five whys is each why interrogating the prior why is so it, is that what what drills deeper not just random whys but just exactly i exactly. want to do this because i want to get a promotion why do you want a promotion that kind of uh yeah yeah building off of the last why or getting deeper yeah, into the, really the nice. previous yeah. exactly why. yeah good good thank you thank you so yeah. um we were talking a little bit about kind of um you know, intentionality and bringing back. And also, like, in my opinion, something I'll be getting deeper into is this empowering idea that we're creating our world, we're creating, uh, kind of giving the, um, like, when we follow the, the um, some of the philosophical traditions besides uh, the wisdom traditions, some of these new traditions like law of attraction and, and all these kinds of um, kind of abilities to pull in that we're kind of the creator we're pulling in by uh, based on our own kind of needs and desires we're pulling in the the life circumstances that we we're, we're experiencing that we're kind of creating those life circumstances and um you know in many different traditions explain it in different ways but the question of why why are things happening why do you know why why did this why does this experience happen to me why, why does it happen now why does it happen mm-hmm. you know these kinds of questions like about you know triggered to me and made me think about kind of these over over underlying life questions about why things happen and and thinking about in terms of empowerment thinking about in terms of you were saying like some of the the root of some of these doubts is about not being worthy and some of the on the other side of it, when we think about 
law of attraction, we think about how, you know, we're pulling in all those experiences and it's all kind of coming into us um, based on our own uh, mental um, climate or the, the way that we cultivated our mind, the way that what we've done so far to cultivate our mind and where our state is right now. So I think what I'd like to go into is a little bit is kind of like how you feel um, or what your thoughts are about these kind of philosophies and, and, and which philosophies or what philosophies kind of, how, how can you articulate uh, some of the philosophies that have kind of driven you? And uh, we were talking a bit about yoga, yogic philosophy and uh, Vedantic philosophy. Uh, so we go a little bit into that and how, you know, how based on like kind of jumping off of the, the law of attraction and empowering each, yourself and empowering your clients and all that. Yeah, I've... Walking down the path of spiritual inquiry or a reckoning uh, has fascinated me over the past couple of years. And there were various things that I wanted to, I wouldn't say check off the list, but things that I'd heard had, had worked for other people when getting down this path um, that I wanted to check out. So it was really going through the yoga teacher training that opened my mind to the concept. I was raised uh, in a Christian household. Um, for my first you know 10 years of life and then from there until um for about the next six years my family believed in god but we wouldn't um go to church often kind of just like a regular secular christian um i was in and out of the faith for the next call it six years or so um but the yogic practice taught me that i could have uh, spirituality without religion, which was a new concept to me at the time, and I uh, found such freedom in that. But anyway, after my yoga teacher training, I went through this mm, spiritual awakening, whatever of sorts, and uh, felt myself just with a, a number of questions that I wanted, not, not even really questions I wanted solved. I just I started to become aware of all the things that I didn't know, right? The more you know, the more the the more you know, the more that you don't know. And that started to become clear to me. So for reasons not just spiritual, but also partially wanting to strip away or push away the dust, I shaved my head. My hair was very long, it was past my chest. And I shaved my head. And then I went on uh, a Vipassana 10-day silent retreat in uh, Delaware and you know, really understood the power, true power of meditation through that process. And then went to Bali for two months to take a bunch of yoga to eat really, you know, fantastic vegan food and go to various workshops and be surrounded by Ubud Bali is probably my favorite place in the world. Um, surrounded myself with mm, I don't like the term spiritual seekers, but I would say folks that are uh, passionate about self inquiry. There were lots of them in Ubud. Um, and then came back and did another yoga teacher training in that traditional hot style and then went to now for the timeline um we're now up to summer 2019 summer 2019 went to cuenca ecuador um, and did a 10-day ayahuasca san pedro retreat then came back from that whole experience and all, all that in total was about a year a year of you know, mm various things that I'd heard that had helped other people. And I came from all of that feeling like, mm, 
feeling pretty, pretty spiritually charged. Um, but then I tried on, I tried on for the year following. So this is basically from mid 2019 up to today, up to not today, maybe mm, two months ago. Um, through that process, I learned or heard various beliefs, such as the law of attraction, right? And that what I, what I seek is seeking me and that, you know, my, um, the concept of pronoia, not that the world is out to get me, but that the universe is conspiring for my benefit, et cetera. And I found those concepts, um, specifically ones that I just mentioned, very comforting. Um, but for a period of time, intentionally, over the past year, I decided to put them out of my mind and to live my life as if, um, as if energy didn't matter, as if um, I wasn't actively co-creating my life, but that life just is, and um, tried to boil things down in a very simplistic fashion. And what I found that over the past year that my life wasn't incredibly different than how it was the previous year where I was open to believing all kinds of various things or just very uh, open-minded. I found that my life wasn't terribly different without those things, but that I enjoyed it less. Mm. And my, it gave me, my current understanding is that, all right, maybe maybe miracles don't exist or maybe, you know, they actually uh, aren't, maybe when I see, you know, a butterfly fly onto my windshield, right, when I was having a tough moment, maybe that doesn't mean anything. Maybe that butterfly was just flying by. But if for me, it's helpful for me to think that that is a sign and that the universe loves me and oh, what another wonderful uh, moment isn't, uh, you know, isn't life grand. I'd, I'd rather be in that second camp and whether or not it's whether or not it's true, et cetera, I've lived in both ways, and I enjoy more living in a way where, when good things happen, I view that as a benevolent universe, mm-hmm. um, and that helps me to feel better. And I, I feel like you know, so much of our, our lives we create in our heads. So I'm I'm all for painting a rosy picture and adopting life philosophies that best help one to navigate through life. Um, as long as you aren't truly living in delusion and it isn't harming other people, but I'm, I'm fine uh, holding beliefs that make me feel good. Mm. Yeah. And I think that that's really great. I think that definitely view and understanding the correct view and that, um, there is no kind of objective correct view, but there's a subjective truth that we want to get to that cultivates the right awareness, that cultivates kind of the right experiences, the good experiences, the joyful experience, cultivates a joyful mind, a joyful life. Um, that's kind of what I'm understanding from what you said and just reiterating or kind of encapsulating and agreeing. And um, definitely I think that kind of focusing in on um, our direction, our goals, it's like the uh, single pointedness and kind of and our own and in the buyer lived experience seems mm. to be the the gist of what you're kind of the focus here uh, kind of like that, or that we want to focus on our lived experience and not just assent to or agree to what you know the community or the other people say we want to kind of test it for ourselves and you know live it ourselves and kind of uh, understand and get to the truth of the matter for ourselves and in the body and in our physical lived experience and our mental lived experience um, so so you kind of really cultivate that so we have a crop of awareness and I think that miracle comes out of that you know when we think about miracles when we think about something um, 
extraordinary happening in our life that that extraordinary event only happens when we've cultivated the right crops and understanding that um, that cultivation is a process. So uh, what do you think is the most, uh, what are some joyous, like focusing on joy and, and, and miracles and such? Tell us a little bit about some of the joys of miracles that little joys or big joys, whatever kind of comes up for you, miracles in your life that you like to um, kind of appreciate or take a moment to acknowledge as we start to wind down. Um, we want to get to the joy in the life. And as you were saying, cultivating that joy. And tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Uh, what? What really brings what really, you joy? Yeah. yeah what really yeah. brings me joy is seeing people, seeing people achieve their potential. Mm. Um, so, in terms of like athleticism, I was a cheerleader in college. My first two years of college at Princeton, and you know, cheered for like maybe eight years before that in um, in high school. So, supporting others and being there for their for their wins and their successes as well as their failures has mm. always brought me a lot of joy. I love being in someone's corner and being on their team. And a good portion of what I do now outside of physical fitness specific instructions, of course, making sure that folks have the proper techniques to stay safe um, is that I'm their cheerleader. I'm there in their corner. I'm here to remind them of how far they've come. Mm -hmm. um, on any physical level, you know, through photos. Literally, this is where you were previously, this is where you were now. But it's ra rarely that, mostly on an emotional and mental level, reminding them of past mental programs that they might mm -hmm. uh, used to have, you know, run during training, things that they used to say often that they now no longer say, uh, replacing the I can't with let me try this, etc. Um, being able to witness folks as they're coming to a stronger understanding of themselves and prove to themselves that they can do various things that they didn't view possible uh, is incredibly inspiring. And I love getting to see that from my clients as they kind of step into their own, step into their power. Uh, but really outside of a training session, anytime that I see someone step into what they are capable of you know it could be a wedding and someone's just giving a speech and you can tell that this isn't something that comes naturally to them but all of a sudden they take a breath and they're in the moment and they're um fully expressing themselves that brings me over the moon joy yeah thank you thank you so this is the truth to power show and ready for brooklyn um, we air every Monday at 8 a.m. I just want to do a couple of quick announcements. Radio Free Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide a free and open platform to the community. Um, we uh, appreciate your support. So um, if you're able to, please give donations to radiofreebrooklyn.org slash donate. Um, you can also sponsor this particular show by going to uh, radioforbrooklyn.org slash truth to power and put sponsor, sponsor the show. There's some link on Radio for Brooklyn to sponsoring the show. But anyway, um, so also if you're listening on the computer, you can free yourself up by listening on your iPhone or Android by going to Radio for Brooklyn, uh, Radio for Brooklyn on the uh, respective Play Stores. Uh, also, just want to give a shout out to the Wall of Lies. As you start to approach, um, you know, the election day, we have the Radio for Brooklyn has... Um, 
created a wall of 20,000 lies that uh, Donald Trump, the president, has told uh, over his administration. Uh, for a little time, uh, it was defaced, unfortunately, but then now it's, it's being um, kind of recreated. Uh, um, and you can look it up uh, uh, on the website or just Google it. Uh, ready for Brooklyn Wall Lies. I, I, I'm not sure what the exact website is, but you can look up readyforbrooklyn.org and then you'll find out more information about their um, uh, program and where they're, where they're doing the, the new wall lies. Um, so definitely look that up. I encourage you to consider um, donating uh, and uh, looking up and find, getting involved with our community. Go to readyforbrooklyn.org slash newsletter to find out more of our programs and events. So um, thank you, thank you. So we have a few more minutes. So uh, let's, Bruce, did you have something? I just want to remind everyone we're talking to Susan McDonald. Susanna McDonald's a wellness uh, expert at this point who's been on an incredible journey. And one of the things I wanted to reflect on what you said earlier, Susanna, was um, kind of the wisdom that you embody by uh, finding so much happiness in the, the roles and success of others. And I think that's a sort of secret to to happiness for yourself, that it's sometimes easy to forget that uh, taking joy in the happiness and, and uh, of others is is such a key path toward your own joy, and mm -hmm. uh, mm. and that's uh, really inspiring to you know you kind of instinctively respond to what makes you happy or how you is is through the success of others, and I think that's a, a very important point for all of us to keep in mind. Um, yeah. for ourselves as well as uh, what we're doing in the world. And, uh, so, so also just want to give a shout out to your website, trainingwithsusanna.com, uh, so people can look that up if they'd like to set up a session with you or if they'd like to learn more about your services. Um, so also, uh, as we start to end, maybe a fun question might be, what's on your workout playlist? Um, Kind of what's some music that you like to listen to while you're working out or that you think is fun? Um, that might be a fun question to end with. <laughs> That's amazing. During, I wouldn't say that uh, anger is an emotion that I access very often, except when I'm working out. So, uh, okay, well, I suppose they're working out to different kinds. If I'm having a, a little relaxing yoga session, then I'll, I'll play things like... Um, Regina Spector and Dermot Kennedy and kind of singer-songwriter, ballady, emotional types. Um, but if I'm really lifting heavy, I want to get myself into a like a kind of tigery state. I'll usually play rap. Uh, I, th I think Lil Ray is best rapper alive. Best rapper alive. So I will listen to his stuff um, or anything. Uh, maybe even some like. I mean, Chains the Rapper isn't really hard enough. I love his stuff, but any anyone who I feel like goes hard. Lots of Lil Wayne, sometimes some Jay-Z, uh, for some Brooklyn love in there. But um, I, I appreciate how music can take you to different emotional states. And if I'm lifting weights, then I want to feel anger and I want to feel pride. Um, and those two things, which I don't access often outside of those space, put, improve my uh, physical output. Yeah, yeah. We've talked a lot about on the show. We've talked a few times about how you know the confusion between anger and chi are life energy. You know, kind of some people mm. look at 
So when we have a rise in energy or the Kundalini or the or the Chi yeah. energy, when we have a rise in that, they look, view it as anger, but it's not anger. It's actually our energy, our life force that's rising up and kind of, and we've talked a lot about, you know, a couple of shows we talked about kind of the difference between like petty anger and holy anger or sacred anger and like how, you yeah. know, we can kind of get ourselves, you know, rise in our energy because we want to do things in the world and how, you know, this kinds of things in the world require us to be ha- be at full output, to be at full um, kind of full energy, full fully charged. So I think it's really great to hear that kind of, you know, and we kind of channel that towards our, our, our fitness goals and our life and, and body mind goals, our alignment between body and mind. Yeah. Uh, I want to go back to one one thing you had said earlier about posture, and um, again, going to you said uh, in, in before we were talking, we had written that you see bad posture everywhere, and I just wonder mm-hmm. if you could share some. What are the warning points of bad posture? I, I'm kind of obsessed with what I call the millennial hunch, mm-hmm. um, where you know excessive screen use has caused people to sort of hunch. Uh, even when they're walking around, uh, but what sorts of things are you seeing in um, in posture that we should be aware of? Yeah, if one is sitting without um, without back support, or even with back support, um, it's, it's essentially the, that exact same thing that you're talking about that that millennial hunch, right? The shoulder blades can move in all kinds of ways. They go up, they go down, they go out, and uh, they spread and they come in. And very often in this hunch, you will see the shoulder blades uh, both elevating and protracting. So a lot of space between the shoulder blades. And an easy way is just to bring them in and to bring them down. If the shoulders are in and down, it isn't as if they're just rooted there in space. But uh, retracting them, bring them in, and then depressing them, bring them down. will. If you do that with the shoulder blades, it's likely that if your shoulders were hunched over, that the whole torso will start to uh, elongate, just like you had a string on someone's head and you were pulling it up high. So what I'll do often is I'll just put two fingers, if it's someone that I know, I'll put two fingers on their shoulders, uh, pushing back, and two fingers at the small of their back or on the sacrum pushing forward. With those two forces, it just brings them up, right? And then they remember, like, oh, okay, I'm all the way up here. You get taller, you look better. That's the easiest way to look better is to fix your posture, honestly. People want to look better. No one looks good round or did hunched over like a turtle. Yeah, I'm a bit of a freak. It's like I ride horses and um, the woman who trained me said that she's actually seen people gain height through horseback riding because of that focus on the absolutely straight back, your head back, as far mm-hmm. as it can, sometimes I feel like as far as it can go, because you want that stack position that you talk about is, is also a riding posture. So um, it's interesting that uh, the impact of that, but uh, thank you. All right, so <laughs> thanks so much. We're about over, so thanks so much, guys. Thank you so much for being here. This is the Truth to Power Show, Ready for Brooklyn. We have every Monday at 8 a.m. The rebroadcast now at Thursday at 9 a.m., but check your uh, check readyforbrooklyn.org for uh, confirmation on that because sometimes that's subject to change. So um, thank, thank you, you so Susanna. much, guys. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much. Last plug, so my website is trainwithsusanna.com, S-U-S-A-N-N-A. Instagram, at trainwithsusanna. Facebook,